Accountability isn't just setting goals or making rules or sharing communication and then expecting people to follow it. It comes from that mutual respect and being there for each other. I think it starts with giving value and being there for people. Giving more than you get, giving so much value, making sure that I'm always giving personal, professional, and financial value. And our people growing in all areas of their life. So giving people an opportunity to win and giving an opportunity for a fresh new relationship with new fresh expectations and the ability to let the past be in the past. That's the essence of the conversation. A goal is just motivation to wake up every morning and do what you're supposed to do. It's an agreement with yourself. It's an agreement with your integrity. How many layers of accountability can you create? I'm just looking forward to seeing the district managers and CSPs in Rocky Mountain Division see the success that they deserve. And for that matter, everybody in the company who's been working hard for it. That's the voice of Drew Frank, the most prolific champion in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing sales organization. Drew's South Denver office holds the record for the greatest office year in Cutco history, and his Rocky Mountain division has been number one in total sales in six of the past seven years, including 2020. Drew is a master at creating an environment of accountability in which people at all levels are more likely to achieve peak performance. In this conversation, Drew shares some unique elements of the great team he has assembled in Rocky Mountain, and he explains the art of accountability, including a step-by-step process for talking with someone who's not following through on their commitments. This is a nuts and bolts masterclass on high-level leadership. Get ready for the brilliant insights of Cutco Vector legend, Drew Frank. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. You are in for a very special treat today. I am with Drew Frank. Drew was featured in episode 41 on the podcast. If you want to hear more about his Cutco Vector story, you can check out that episode. He's been in the Cutco Vector business since 2003, started in Pennsylvania, graduated from Penn State University, and moved to Colorado in 2007 to open his office in Denver. It has been an epic run of success for Drew with both his office and his division since that time. He has won 23 silver cups, including six 
division overall silver cups for the Rocky Mountain Division. Also, Drew's office still holds the record as the greatest office in Vector history. And he has just completed an epic comeback in his division in 2020 to finish in first place in the division race, taking that 23rd Silver Cup of his career. This is a guy that has had great success both uh, with his office and his division and widespread success among lots of reps and lots of managers. We are going to talk about the art of accountability today, how to create widespread success in your organization. Drew Frank, thank you so much for making time for the podcast again. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me back on as a really good long-term friend of mine, but also as a, a legend in, in Cutco and Vector. It's a uh, it feels good when you introduce me like that. So I, I'll uh, I'll take that any day. I appreciate the introduction. <laughs> uh, and as I said in the last one, my my goal is always to uh, follow in the footsteps of of, uh, of those who built it. And uh, and you're certainly uh, your your legend and your lore uh, has not diminished at all. And it's it's fun to be able to to continue building off the things that you and your friends did back in the day. Nice. Well, thank you, Drew. I appreciate hearing that. Uh, it's been an awesome year for you. In 2020, despite all of the challenges and uncertainty, I know that uh, you've had a great year. And what are you most proud of from this past year? Yes, with COVID and and with changing the business, going to completely virtual, it was uh, a surprise and a dramatic change. I, I, I'm most proud of how Rocky Mountain was a veteran team. We have you know Robert and Tui and Curtis and and some long term veteran CSPs and long term long time district managers Kevin Barth and and uh, you know and, and Athena Lopez and and our whole crew has been around for a long time and and for them to take that change with poise with professionalism with positivity and and just you know kind of taking it in stride and not getting overwhelmed by the moment was was what I was most proud of Curtis with another unbelievable year almost $800,000 in sales with virtually no shows. So the way that our CSP team responded and, and, you know, found a way the way that our district managers, you know, found a way it was, it was really impressive and just proud of everyone on the team. Everyone in our division really took responsibility to do their part. And there was not a single person who wasn't all in for the cause, wasn't all in for support and, and doing what they could to, to move us forward. You know, nobody gave up when it seemed hard. So that was that was something that I really admired my, my team and their strength all year. As a company, I think it was neat that we viewed the business through a different lens. You know, we've been thinking for decades that a customer has to physically hold a knife to to buy a lot of Cutco, and we realized that's not not true with our virtual program. So I love that that we were able to, you know, make some really good change. And and I think that the company support from corporate they're you know supporting our reps in their bonus program to supporting our district managers through it. Uh, it really showed that Cutco is a family from from the top to bottom, and uh, that, that's what I was proud of. Yeah, well, through a, a team is a reflection of the leader, and as you you know as as I look at your career, I see just an incredible run of success. Uh, times where you were behind and came back, times where you were ahead and held on, times where you performed feats that people didn't even think were possible, uh, things outside the business as well that reflect on that, completing Ironman triathlons and so many other different things that you've been able to do. And so I, I feel like uh, a lot of your people have 
responded in such a mentally tough fashion because that's who you are as a leader. Yeah, I think the speed of the team is the speed of the leader, and and it's it's hard to fake leadership. You have to be there to be able to provide for your people, and and hopefully, you know, lead as as good of an example as you can. And it's it's hard to be on all the time, but as as best as you can. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, you have had truly widespread success this year, as I referenced all throughout your division. Uh, you mentioned a few of the key CSPs that have done well. Uh, of course, you know, Kevin Barth, Athena, uh, Maz, Adam, Jenna in Boulder, like uh, the list goes on here of all of the success stories throughout the Rocky Mountain division from this, uh, this past year. What do you think causes a, what flips that switch where virtually everyone in an organization begins to succeed? Yeah, it was interesting when you approached me for this podcast and and you, you know, mentioned that that question, you know, I was thinking it's there's so much buildup and there's so much that goes into, you know, everybody being prepared at the same time. It's like a, a sports team, you know, going into the playoffs, it's, you know, being ready. And so much of that was from the preseason and so much of that is is buildup. It's not just a, a decision of saying, okay, we're behind and we need to make a comeback or, you know, we're, we're not happy with where we're at. We need to turn the switch. It, it's not as simple as just flipping the switch. And, and I, I think that, you know, that desire of, of wanting to grow, wanting to improve, wanting to succeed, that isn't just a decision that you can make. Everybody wants that, right? But, but there's, there's so much more that goes into building the ability for everybody to, to, to step up and perform at the same time. I think a lot of it comes from from planning and preparation. This fall, this comp- it's been so fun, and the competition we love it, and we've been as part of it and, and and experiencing it. It's the the most fun run that we've had as an organization with our CSPs and DMs. But we've been planning this all year, so the results to us weren't really a surprise. I think that you know that comes from the culture within the division, the culture of of wanting to succeed, I guess it would start with respect for leaders. And accountability isn't just in my mind, like, you know, setting goals or making rules or, or, you know, sharing communication and then expecting people to follow it. It's not just, you know, my authority over getting people to do what I want them to do and, and perform. You know, it comes from that mutual respect and, and being there for each other. So some of the things I, I think about is, you know, is there respect for the leader? Uh, and the leaders of the organization. So whether you're a manager managing reps or a division manager managing offices, giving more than you get, you know, giving so much value. And and so a lot of what we try to bring to our our team and our representatives, and a lot of what I try to bring to to my managers in, in my position as a division manager is making sure that I'm always giving personal, professional, and financial value. You know, and and our people growing in in all areas of their life. It's not just I can lead and say, "Here's how you run training. Here's how you work with reps. Here's how you get results." You know, because th- that would just be professional. It's being there, you know, personal and knowing that you have that person's best interest at heart. You know, and that that's part of culture. That that's you know deeply entrenched in the in the core values of the leaders and of the organization. So, I think it starts with with giving value. Um, yeah. And, and being there for people. That's a great insight, Drew, because I feel like, you know, you, you've talked about the planning and you've talked about people wanting success. Pretty much everybody would say they want success. And most people would say they, they engage in some level of planning 
at least in vector and setting their goals and things like that. But that's just one part of the equation. That the other part that you know is much more challenging is the actually doing it. It's the accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Following through on what people say they're going to do, following through on their plan, executing the pieces of their plan. And I like what you said that part of accountability comes from respect for your leaders. And when the leader attempts to give first, right? If their leader's paradigm is to give, not to get, that builds a high commitment level in the people in that organization to want to then follow through on the commitments they make and to be accountable to that leader. So that's a good good uh, idea of the, the sort of the foundation for where accountability comes from. Right. I can be excited about this goal and we can say that we were going after this comeback, but that's so surface level. And that's not really, you know, at the core, it's not the why. And, and you know, I've learned this from, from listening to you for, you know, 15, 20, you know, 15 plus years is that the house of the job are easy. You know, it's simple, not easy. It takes work, but the, the house of the job are simple. And, you know, the why, the motivation, the fire, the spark, that where does that come from? And so I have a really strong belief that if somebody has a deep enough belief, belief, reason, conviction in, in why they're doing something, they're going to find a way. And whether it's COVID or and changing the program or whether it's just being consistent over a long period of time, you know, that comes from the why. So, you know, when I, when I think about whether it was this situation that we were in, and you talked about some of our district managers, you know, Brie Galarza and Jenna Gon having, you know, exponential growth in the best years of their career, Adam Hayes-Lemon and Athena Lopez, you know, over $100,000 growth, and they had their best years even last year, Maz with a million dollar year. It's impressive to see, but so much of that comes from the, the culture and the support that that we've been building for years, and and 2020 was a great result. But it's a reflection of of many years of building that type of culture and that type of support. You know, I think about you know our division. We compete as a family. Our, our CSPs are just as tied into our district manager's success, and our district managers are our CSPs' biggest fans. And so, you know, having that respect for everyone in the business at all levels, whether you're a brand new rep or you're a, a Curtis JQs or or you're the division manager, everybody plays a part and everybody plays a role. We play on each other's strengths too. And, and we recognize and realize that it, sometimes it's going to be Maz, sometimes it's going to be Adam, sometimes it's going to be Jenna, sometimes it's going to be KB. And, and everybody has a chance to step up. Everybody has a chance to be that leader. And it's not just you know leaning on one person. Yeah. You're describing the essence of a great team uh, with some of the things that you just said right there. And for anybody that's a part of a team, I feel like it's just so important to buy into the team concept and to use the team goals as an important part of your own motivation. It can be such a huge tool to drive yourself forward when you realize that other people are counting on you. If you're in any sort of goal or endeavor just for what you're going to accomplish your own self, then the only person that really gets let down if you don't achieve that is is your own self. But when you realize that you're, you're part of something much bigger, uh, it just it, the the level of inspiration, the level of motivation, the level of accountability just goes up by leaps and bounds, and it becomes so much easier to get yourself to actually achieve all of your own goals. It's a great tool to use for success, for sure. 
Absolutely. That, that's so, it's so deep, though, because there, even within that, there are so many layers of how you create that. So it's that divisional feel, being part of something bigger than yourself, being, you know, feeling that that ownership of the organization. And, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like we do a good job in Rocky Mountain. I'm sure there's ways that we could do better. You know, there's so much talent. I was talking to Jenna about this uh, a few weeks ago. We have so much talent that even finding space to put somebody on an agenda, you know, every, somebody's going to feel snubbed every time. <laughs> uh, it's it's having that respect for you know that everybody has that talent everybody has that ability i think that comes from the sense of belonging i think from day one reps and managers knowing what your intentions are and are you there just to collect stats and see people's numbers or are you there to see somebody grow and and are you really active in their growth not just the growth of their numbers so part of it is is relationships spending time and building a unique thing, a, a unique relationship with everybody in the organization because everyone's going to bring something different. We like to say whether you sold a dollar or a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars this month, you were an important part of our team. And we recognize that this this competition came back down to the last week of the year. And so you know every peeler, every every small order, it all adds up. So so people's understanding and and true respect that you know for everybody being a, a big difference maker in our organization. And I think that's through recognition, it's through appreciation, individually and publicly. I, you know we could spend probably an entire podcast on on recognition and appreciation. I think it's the most underutilized tool in in management and accountability and relationships. But it's it's making people feel good publicly and making people feel good individually. Yeah, and I bet that doesn't just come from you, but it comes uh, with and through all of your district managers. I would venture to guess that you know Brie Galarza is probably calling up Alex Mazarek and saying, "Hey, congratulations on this great success." And Kevin Barth is probably calling up Athena Lopez and saying, "Hey, congratulations on that achievement that you just made." And that creates that feeling of belonging where everyone's tied in. And committed to each other, and it just—it really is. Uh, as, as as we've talked about here, it's it's a great foundation for accountability. Yeah, when when everybody wins, you know, we all win, and that's that's the spirit within the organization. And sure, we compete, and 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 they've got their rivalries, but they they as exactly as you said, there's you know so much inter uh, communication and teaching. The amount of one on one calls that you know our our managers do between each other without me involved is is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Very cool. Let's talk about let's talk about the concept of painting a vision for your people because I, I feel like uh beyond this idea of belonging and you know team spirit and all the accountability that comes from that, what you're great at next is this idea of painting a vision of what's possible. What are some of the ways that you go about doing that, Drew? So the way my brain works is I have to think of it in steps and I have to you know break it down. So the way that I think about breaking down or creating vision for somebody, uh, step one always starts with me. And I think that's in any leadership situation, whether it's a goals, accountability, you know, vision, it always comes from, from the leader. So the step for me is having unwavering belief in, in the opportunity, in the potential. And I've got to believe it first. And if I can believe it and see it, and if I can visualize it in my head that this person or this organization can make it happen, well, it's going to start from me. So it, it creates an emotional response in me. And when when I feel it, I know other people can feel it too. 
when I talk to a rep and I can look them in the eyes and I say, I know that if you put your time and effort into this, I know you can achieve this result. Or when I say to, you know, to, to Adam Hayes Lemon, I know that you can make this comeback and you can take this, you know, it's because I have unwavering belief in, in their uh, ability because whether it's the person or the program, I think it starts with me. So that that's the first. The second part I think is knowing what their starting point is and having an appreciation for their lens, right? Everybody, you know, whether it's, I can't have the same conversation with Athena as I do with Jenna because they're two totally different people in two, two, two totally different situations. So even if they have a similar goal, I have to come at it from a different you know, angle, different perspective, because what matters to them is, is different than what matters to somebody else. So having an understanding of what matters to them. So what's their starting point, their whys, having that deep understanding, what triggers them, what motivates them? Because sometimes as managers, we think we know what is important to people, but a lot of times we're, we're really far off. Yeah. How do you figure that out? You know, this is from a lot of years of, of listening to guys like John Vroman talk about, you know, how to ask good questions, how to, how to ask real questions. I, I see a lot of, of managers, Cutco or other that just ask surface level questions and, and they're, you know, because they read it in a book somewhere or, you know, they think it's the right thing to say. But the right thing to say is what you feel and is typically what your instinct is in your gut. If, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm not just going to ask a, a laundry list of questions just so they feel good that I, that I you know, spent time with them. I really want to know what, what's their biggest motivation. What's the thing that's challenging them the most? What's their biggest fear in this job? Who's the most supportive person in their life? Who's the least supportive person you know, in their life? It, it's, it's those really important questions. You know, what does three years from now look like to you? And are we on the right track based on where you want to be? What does five years from now look like? So, you know, when I talk to my district managers, you know, again, Maz has a different 10-year plan than KB. They might both be going after a million-dollar sales goal for their office, but that is completely different wise and motivation. So the rest of the conversation, how I paint that vision is completely different, you know, and styles too. And I, I think there's, there's so many ways to have success. And, and just as a leader, being open to different ways to get there. Okay. So you talked about the unwavering belief that the leader has to have in what's possible and in their people. You've talked about understanding someone's starting point, the lens with which they're looking at their goals. What else? You mentioned that there's a few other things that are part of your formula for painting a vision. Sure. Next is respecting your perspective. And knowing that you've seen things that that person hasn't seen or been exposed to before. So I knew that it was possible for our organization to have this comeback because I remember watching you do things like this 10 and 15 years ago. So giving them confidence and belief based on your experience. I think that most people can only think half as big and half as far into the future as the leader uh, can and should. So if I'm talking about, you know, this number, most people, their mind can probably only think of half of that. And if I'm talking about a year out, most people are probably thinking six months out. So being able to, to understand that you have to use your frame of reference to your advantage, meaning uh, help expose that, that possibility, that opportunity to others. So those are some, some initial, you know, surface, uh, you know, level things. And then Next would be being able to tell stories 
Um, I, I think one of the things that I respect so much about so many vector people is their way, the way that they can paint the picture and, and really share a story for what could happen. And part of that is belief. It's, you know, imagine when, or think about when, or, you know, what's it going to feel like when just that being able to, to really sit in that moment, feel the emotions and uh, be able to convey what it's like to have success, not just saying, here's a game plan, go after it and see what happens. And then the last, the final key of that, which, which can be done in, in different ways is just simplify the heck out of it. Simplify the actions because somebody can be overwhelmed with, with the idea or the thought or the magnitude of what they're going after, but they can't be overwhelmed by the actions and activities that it'll take to get there. So it's for somebody to be able to say, I can accomplish doing the actions, whether I hit that goal or not, I know that I can accomplish this schedule, these activities, uh, and these benchmarks. So simplifying as, as whether it's down to, you know, we tell managers, whether it's, you know, it's, it's scheduling for recruiting, we use metrics, book, you know, schedule this many, you know, people for interviews and you get this result on the back end. For reps, make this many phone calls, get this result on the back end. So simplifying it and guaranteeing that goal with activity. So that way they know that it's possible. That way they know they're capable. And as long as they are persistent, as long as they don't give up on themselves, as they as long as they continue the schedule, then what they're going after is possible. Yeah. What you just said is, is uh, so profound. The idea that people can be sometimes overwhelmed by the magnitude of a goal that's a longer term goal, for example, a year or even longer. But if we can help them to see the steps to get there, then they're far more likely to be able to take those steps. And by taking those steps, they wind up achieving the goal. Like that uh, it makes a lot of sense. What about when you have somebody, Drew, who is, they're not being accountable. They're not following through on their commitments. I would love for you to give a couple examples of conversations you have with people like that. And maybe we could start with this from a rep perspective, right? Like a young Petco sales rep that's not following through. And then perhaps after that, we could talk about it from a manager perspective and how you work with your DMs as well. But what does a conversation look like when somebody's not following through on their commitments? Sure. It, well, let's start off with what it's not. And I think that that you know, I've, I've been managing for, for so many years and I, I certainly made a lot of mistakes. So for anyone that's listening that don't, don't kick yourself as you go through this and feel like, oh man, I lost so many opportunities. It's, that's part of growth and, and learning. So for the accountability conversation, you know, I, as you know, I love my, my one page PDFs and I, I created a one pager for those that are, are watching the video version. I'll have it on the screen, but I'll, I'll just walk through. And as I said, my brain, it works in steps. So I have, six steps to to accountability. I'll reference them as I walk through. The numbers and the amount of steps doesn't really matter for the purposes of this conversation. It's more of the understanding the feel and the flow. But working with somebody who has misstepped what it's not, it's not an up or out conversation. It's not a threatening, you know, using your position of power or leverage, your title, your role. None of that matters to, you know, when it comes to accountability, because what you're trying to fix is, is a, a, a something that's not working, either a, a pattern that's not working, uh, uh, either a mindset. So you're trying to change something that's not working. And if we go at it with an attacking 
mindset or I'm going to fix this person. Well, you know, that, that you're, it's probably not going to, to be successful from the start. So I think understanding what, what is the end result? What are we trying to, to gain from having this, um, this conversation? And, and, you know, it's regaining trust. It's regaining respect for, on both sides, you know, for, for the rep and the manager. It is reestablishing communication and, and starting with a fresh start. And as, you know, I think we can, we can focus on the things that, that somebody did wrong, but I don't think that that's going to, you know, that's not fruitful because they already know that they weren't doing the actions. They know they weren't making the phone calls. They know they missed the meeting. They know they missed, you know, calling you back, whatever it was. Obviously, they know that they weren't performing to their best. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having the conversation. So giving people an opportunity to win and, and giving an opportunity for a fresh new relationship with, with new, fresh expectations and the ability to let the past be in the past. That, that's the essence of the conversation. So step one for me is taking uh, responsibility. And, and part of this, and I, again, I've got on the shared screen for those who are watching the video, but uh, taking responsibility and being vulnerable is uh, the first step because the person that you're having this conversation with, they need to know that it's not an attack. And, and you might be disappointed in the situation, but you're not disappointed in the person, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody you know, has things that they wish they could do differently. Me more than anybody that I'm going to have a conversation with just because I've been around longer than, than most of the people that I'm working with. So taking responsibility for the situation, being vulnerable, and, and not being in attack mode. So that's the first. And I'll give a couple examples as we go through. So this could be saying, you know, Dan, if you're my rep, I'll just use you as the example. You know, Dan, I, I feel like I haven't done my job as a manager. And I feel like I've failed you because, you know, if I, if I had done my job correctly and if I had coached you a little, you know, maybe better, or if I had, you know, seen things from your lens, you know, maybe I would have coached you differently and maybe we would be having a different conversation. So, you know, regardless of, of what happened, I want to take responsibility and I want to let you know that I feel bad that, that you haven't gotten the results, you know, and my, my job and, and what I, you know, promised you and, and what I, you know, uh, told you in the interview and training is that I'd be here to support you 100% and make sure you got results and you haven't been getting those results. And I, I take that personally. So that, that's step one. I see how that could really open someone up right away. Yeah, we also have to realize that, you know, when I started this job, I was 18 years old. This was like my first real, like legitimate job. And so if somebody came at me in attack mode, it wouldn't give me any opportunity to grow and learn. So, uh, you know, having managers that respected that I was, you know, still in this process, give people an opportunity to make up for it and, and give them opportunity to, to win in the end. So just coming at it from an emotional perspective of this is how I feel. You know, I feel bad. I know you feel bad too, but I'm not angry. I'm not mad at you. I'm just, I'm upset that we're in this situation. So I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. The second part, the next part is honesty. And this is just that upfront, raw communication of that human to human connection, not going through the laundry list of questions that you ask somebody, you know, Hey, how do you think things are going? Do you think you're, you know, are you working hard? Are you doing things the right way? That's just, that shouldn't be part of the accountability conversation. It's, Hey, I know things haven't been going well, Dan, but I know that you can be successful. I know you're talented. I know you're smart from the connection that we made in your interview, the connection we made in training. Like You are a talented person and I believe in you and I think that you could do really well in this job. And I know that you know that, that, that too. 
At the rate we're going, though, and you know, based on how the past two weeks have gone with you know your sales and your level of activity, you're probably not going to be here in a few weeks if we continue this trend. So I care about you. I believe in you. And I want to have this conversation because if we continue down this path, we're probably both going to be even more disappointed or upset you know, uh, later on. So I want to see if we can fix that and start fresh. So that's that, that honest communication. The third key to that accountability conversation is a what's in it for them. And, and what's in it for them is, is putting yourself in that person's shoes, understanding Really, that, that it's that belief, it's that painting the vision like we just talked about. It's having that conversation of what you think they're capable of. So Dan, I think that you could be one of the top reps in the office. I think that with the right consistency, with the right activity, I think that you have the ability to win trophies. I think you could be somebody who would be on stage giving an acceptance speech at a banquet. I, I really see that in you. And I don't want you to look back and wonder what if, because I know that you, be- I know that you believe in yourself to know that that's possible too. And, and if you, if we keep going this path and we give up on yourself, you're always going to look back and say, what if I don't want that to happen. I know you don't want that to happen because you deserve to do well in this job. And that leads to the next point, which is asking for permission. So Dan, with your permission, what I would like to do is I want to start fresh. I want to start with a a clean coaching relationship. And I want you to be able to tell me exactly what you need from me so I can provide you all the support that I can. And and I want to start clean. I want to start fresh. I want to give you an opportunity to win. And if we try this, if we work hard for, for, let's say, two weeks, you give me two weeks of, of we make a new plan and we make a new goal and we make a new schedule and you go after it. And if it doesn't work out, at least we know we tried. I'm always going to feel good about it. You're always going to feel good about it. And it shows a ton of professionalism in class. Now, if it works out, listen, this is the greatest story of all time where we can look back and say, you remember when we had that slip up in the first you know, couple of weeks of the job? Remember when, when we were thinking about quitting? You're going to be the one t- telling that story on stage, giving that acceptance speech. And uh, you know, think about how cool that's going to be. All right. So it's that what's in it for them conversation and then asking for permission to start fresh. Mm, it's so good, Drew. And I just see why this is received so well by others. Just really strikes me as something that almost everybody is going to listen to and at least be willing to like redouble their efforts for a short amount of time. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's just being pure and honest and genuine with what you want. You obviously want this person to succeed. You don't want them to feel bad for, for not performing or missing a meeting or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever it was, there's nothing so egregious that somebody doesn't deserve a chance to make up for it, a chance to really do well and to have all of your belief and confidence. So getting that permission to start fresh. And usually with that clean slate, it, it just opens up the opportunity for somebody to reinvest their belief in themselves, reinvest their belief in the program, the opportunity, their goals, and you as a leader. I don't interrupt very many of these episodes, but I wanted to jump in right here to let you know that you can find Drew Frank's one-page PDF on accountability in the show notes at changinglivespodcast.com. Just search for Drew Frank's episode and click on Read the Show Notes. I also want to thank Silver Cup Cutco alum Colton Horn and his team at BrainFuel for sponsoring this episode. BrainFuel is a new cerebral beverage that's scientifically derived from coffees, teas, collagens, and antioxidants. It's not an energy drink, but instead, 
It's a lifestyle beverage for top performers like the listeners of this podcast. It takes a molecule that we've known for centuries, caffeine, and revolutionizes the way our brain interacts with it. Brain Fuel uniquely puts your body and brain in the zone, prolonging mental focus, sharpening alertness and decision-making, and protecting your brain from burnout. I can tell you from personal experience that I felt the effects of this product right from the very first time I tried it, and it's astounding. I just felt sharper and more alert all day and well into the evening. I know this is all magnificent, but guess what? It also tastes amazing. My favorite flavors are Thrive Ice and Victory Bliss. Brain Fuel is spelled uniquely because it is unique. It's B-R-E-I-N-F-U-E-L. Go to brainfuel.com to check it out. And if you use the code C-L-S-K when you check out, you'll get 35% off your first order. In the remainder of today's episode, I'll ask Drew Frank about how he works with leaders on his team to create accountability, what to do when it's been multiple times having the same conversation and someone still isn't following through, and how Drew uses these principles to keep himself accountable to his goals. Let's get right back to the great Drew Frank. Tell me also, Drew, how do you work with managers in this way? Sure. With, with managers, it's, it's a similar approach. And I don't, think, I don't think much changes except managers also know that this pattern. So the only thing I would say is, you know, if I have to have this tough conversation with, you know, with one of my district managers, for example... They know the six steps to the accountability conversation. They're you know part of that. So I think what makes this important and special and impactful is because it, it is genuine. It is authentic, and the approach is comfortable for both sides. It's comfortable for somebody who either is in a tough place and, and wants an opportunity to you know make up for it, and it's comfortable for the leader as well. And so even though somebody knows, hey, I'm going to take responsibility as we all should do as professionals. We're going to talk about, you know, really the opportunity and, and what's available to you. And let's let's get really present to, to what matters. And, and I'll give you as an example for the what's in it for them conversation. I, I mentioned before, something that is important to Jenna is going to be different and, and, you know, different than what's important to Matt and their motivations and how I talk to them and how I paint the picture for, hey, let's get back on track because... X, Y, and Z, or hey, let's let's really dive into getting your recruiting program back on track. Or hey, you know, I noticed a little bit of a slip in this area. Or hey, some of your assistant managers didn't turn in their assignments for Leadership Academy. Whatever that is, it's different because the end goal is different. But but I think the the flow of the conversation, of taking responsibility, being honest, painting the picture of what's available to them long term, asking for permission to restart. And then, you know, the, the other, the last two steps is, you know, resetting those expectations. So what if, if that's a, a goal or a schedule or a plan or resetting communication and then creating that simple plan that we talked about before. So I'll give you an example. You know, I have, I've experienced this myself as, as a manager being a, you know, running an office for over a decade. Sometimes you're not as motivated as, you know, as other times. And so, uh, for example, you know, Kevin Barth, you know, his, what's important to him in 2020 
and building his organization is so much different than what was important to him three or four years ago. So us being able to have a, a real conversation about, hey, this, you know, this was a tough month or this was a, a tough campaign because of X, Y, and Z, and then being able to get really present to what matters to him. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that when you're working with district managers in these ways, that they know the, you know, the steps that you typically follow. I don't think it matters that they know. I mean, you, you obviously you can open with, "Hey, look, you know how I feel when somebody's not hitting their goals. I take it personally. Like, I really want to, you know, help people succeed. And if you're not doing well, that's a big part of that falls onto me." And, you know, that's how I feel. You know that, right? Like you're, you're acknowledging like they know these things, but you're going through the same process because it's a logical process to follow where it's important to be able to follow that up by painting a vision and getting commitments from them. And then, you know, resetting new expectations, creating new goals and new actions that they'll follow. It's just a very logical process to follow. So it really doesn't matter, I think, that a district manager that you're working with, if you're a DVM, you know, knows where you're going, you know, with this, uh, this process, it, it just makes a whole lot of sense to follow the process. Right. As long as somebody is just genuine in their approach, sometimes, you know, you hear people say, I totally understand how you feel that way. You know, as long as it's not over, overdone and, uh, and, and somebody's not saying things for effect, right. As, as you're saying, it's, it's that, you know, genuine, authentic approach. And, and as long as that's from both sides, um, they understand. Yeah. What about Drew when it's been a bunch of times that you've had these conversations, everybody in vector can relate to that one rep that just hangs around for a long time, always has goals and never does anything that they say they're going to do. And in many cases, we've also had managers that have done that, although because a manager is financially responsible for their organization and themselves, they typically aren't going to last long if they're not following their, you know, following through on their commitments. But, you know, even then, we've all had people where we've had to have these conversations for the fifth time. What's it like in a case like that? Like, how do you shake someone up when you know that they're really heading towards the edge of the cliff? Sure. It's tough because it's emotional on both sides. You don't want to lose that person or make them feel bad. And it's tough for them because they're in such a tough spot. For me, it's always been uh, complete honesty and, and just being very raw with my emotion and how it makes me feel, even having to have that conversation multiple times. Ultimately, it boils down to, is it worth your time? And I think that's part of what you're what you're trying to describe or trying to, you know, share with that person is, hey, I need to decide right now if if it's worth it for me to continue trying with you. And I we've had this conversation multiple times. We've had this conversation four or five times. Every time I reapproach it, it hurts me harder because I realize that I'm ineffective in trying to help. So it makes me feel even worse than the original thing that we're trying to fix is that this feels like a losing battle. And the reason why I keep on investing into you is because I believe in you so much. But I can't continue going on with, with me believing in you more than you believe in you. Because mm. then that's, that's going to be a waste of my time and it's a waste of your time. And if that's the case, we should part ways now. Mm. But I believe in you. I know you can do it. And that's why I keep on having this conversation. If, yeah. I, wasn't, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But right. I think I'm done having this conversation. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense to take a little bit more of a, I guess I would say, stern or abrupt approach when you can tell somebody's really at the edge of the cliff, right? It's a different case versus somebody that's just sort of straying off course from their goals. And so, you know, when it gets to that fourth, fifth, sixth time, there, there does come a point to me where the, the conversation has to be a little bit more direct. And I think that what happens there is that some of those people will respond with, well, I just don't think I can do it and they'll just dwindle away. But other people are going to wake up right there. It's going to be that shake that they needed to break their pattern and get them to actually turn things around. And every leader listening to this podcast has had the experience of turning around somebody like that and turning them into a top performer, you know, after the fact, you know, after they had been struggling for quite, quite uh, some period of time. I think that one more part of that, which is more about just your intuition as a, as a leader is, can you try to figure out if there's something deeper? Because a lot of times if you're having the same conversation and it's not working, then whatever you were hitting on wasn't, wasn't the real reason. And so is there an opportunity for you to dive in at that point and say, can we just be honest with each other? And can we really talk about what the problem is? Can we, can, because I know you said it was this and this and this, but clearly it's not because we made plans. And so what's the real hiccup? What's the real holdback? And sometimes it's, it's ego. Sometimes it's embarrassment. Sometimes it's, it's just an emotion that is there irrationally that, that you can help work, work through that. Sometimes it's image. Sometimes it's the feeling of defeat or failure. So being able to do things like frame failure, being able to, to frame success, being able to, you know, those types of conversations, uh, getting deep and finding out what that core reason is. Sometimes something emerges that is easier to work through than, than the last four conversations were. Yeah. There's also an element to this, Drew, that I think is getting a person to want to keep commitments, getting them to, to decide that that's who they are. I am the kind of person that when I say something, I do it. I think that we want to, we want to try to build that feeling within people. As I look back on some of the things I've done with others, one of the tools I've used to teach people about personal development is, of course, books. And there's different books I feel like have been really valuable in my career. On this topic of accountability and keeping commitments, I think about a simple book called The Four Agreements. And the first agreement in The Four Agreements is be impeccable with your word. And the author talks about the importance of doing what you say you're going to do and how that builds trust with others, and why that's such an important foundation for success. And one of the things that I try to do with people is I used to have a, you know, key staff meetings where I would share this book, and I would kind of unpack it and discuss it with people. And we would talk about how people feel when, for example, someone says they're going to be somewhere and they, they don't show up or they're late, and how that makes other people feel. And I want I want people to sort of sit with that feeling of what it's like when you're not committed and how others around you feel about that. And, and I want people to, to, to feel some pain right there and realize like, I don't want to be that person. I want to be the kind of person that other people can count on. And so that feeling, building that feeling within people is a key part of getting people to want to keep commitments. Agreed. I think there's, there's layers that, as you said, you're, bu- you're building layers of accountability. 
So it's not just accountable to your agreement with the manager or the person who helped you make that goal. It's an agreement with yourself. It's an agreement with your integrity. So I like to think about is how many layers of accountability can you create? Mm. So why does this matter to you right now? Right, That's the, the tangible here and now what we're going for. How does it matter to the future you? Right? What does this mean for your character? What does this mean for your commitments? The precedent that you set for all the decisions you make from this point forward, your, your persistence, your, you know, that matters, right? So, so you're committing and you're accountable to you. You're committed to the future version of you. You know, can you tie in people that are important, family and friends? And how do they, how are they involved with, you know, their goal? Or can they, can they get, you know, accountability? I, I always say tying in family and friends is, you know, one of the biggest motivators for me, knowing that that the people who care about me also care that I succeed and I hit my goal, that that's a huge factor. You know, whether it's the team. So, and we, we've talked about this and, and mentioned it a couple of times, but why do they care about the team? Right? Why why should they care about the team goal? Why should they care that they're part of something bigger than themselves? Well, what does the team do for them? Respect from leaders, it's the value, personal, professional, and financial value that they're learning and gaining. It's you know, growing their capacity. So, you know, all of those those layers of accountability matter. I love that concept of layers of accountability. That is a great one that any leader can think about, right? As how am I creating multiple layers of accountability with the people that I'm working with? Accountability to me, the leader, accountability to each other, to their peers, accountability to friends and family. How am I bringing friends and family in with involvement with the goals? There's so many ways that all that stuff can happen, and that's uh, that's really powerful, Drew. Part of that could be framing what matters, right? It's the layers of accountability, but what matters is how somebody does something. It's it's how they go about their business. It's not just the result. You know, respect comes from your performance, your integrity, your character, uh, not just the numbers. So, you know, framing what matters in that sense, but also framing failure. Hey, if you don't hit your goal. You know, if we don't accomplish this, it doesn't matter as long as you perform, right? Performance versus results. You can't always control your results, but you can always control your performance. So trying to understand and frame, you know, what matters and what doesn't matter. Yeah. Excellent stuff, Drew. Really, really great. I want to give you an opportunity to stray off of the topic of accountability into more general stuff if you'd like here, Drew, by just asking you, what else do you feel like creates peak performance? In your organization, well, we could we could go for as long as as long as your your uh, you know podcast or your computer lasts. We could talk all day about this, and this this is fun for me because it's just it's management philosophy, rep performance philosophy. This is what what really gets me excited, especially when it when it comes to uh, you know a year like this and 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 the run that we've just had. But I think one one concept is just really strong goal setting. One of the things that my brother Wes taught me early on is that. Short-term goals keep you focused, but long-term goals keep you motivated. So, uh, having a on every level, whether it's me working with my district managers, knowing you know what their ten-year plan is and what they want out of their future, but also what's important to them this month, this campaign, uh, and same thing with representatives. So, what's important to you right now, and then what's also important long-term. So, I, I think appropriate goal setting, along with that, would just be the simple steps and the simple actions. So every goal, whether it's a financial goal, wanting to make a certain amount of money in a, in a campaign or a year, whether it's a competitive goal, going after a certain level, 
or whether it's just a schedule goal. This is the time that I can commit. But pre-planning that and, and giving the confidence, as we said before, that the activity and the action is set. So the goal might be overwhelming, but I never want my schedule or, or what I have to accomplish to be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Uh, we, we talked about preparation. I think that people can only think, as we said, half as far into the future as their leader can. So just helping people you know, begin to think about the future, begin to think about some of the, you know, the, the larger, you know, scope, you know, kind of mindsets, because at this, at this level, I, I'm always very present to whether it's a rep that's brand new right out of high school, college, or whatever level in their career, or if it's a manager, the leader above them is probably going to be one of the most influential people in their life. So as a district manager, I was the most influential person in my rep's life because I had that that platform, I had that 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 experience. I had the ability to coach and teach and regurgitate all the things that I learned and read. So, understanding your platform uh, and helping people grow, I think, is is an important quality. What you just said was really profound. That uh, as leaders, uh, we are often the most influential person in the lives of the people who are working with us, and really respecting that, I think, is a big key to creating you know peak performance. Exactly. Yeah, I, I put down, uh, and one of my thoughts was was competition. I think that that competition is important to everybody, regardless if they feel like they it is or not. And the amount of reps and the amount of managers that have told me, "Oh, I get overwhelmed by competition," or I, you know, I don't want to look at the standings. I don't want to look at. Uh, that's okay, and and I think it's important to figure out what what are they competing for, and and why are they competing. So let's say a a district manager, if they are overwhelmed by going after a big goal, let's say you know a seven fifty or a million dollar year, they might be overwhelmed by it. But your people need something to be excited about, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs something to look forward to. So, you know, having a goal and having competition is is on so many le- levels. You know, I love you know talking crap about you know Dane Espigard uh, anytime I can. But that's not for me. That's for my, that's for my people. So my people have a target, you know. Not not for me. <laughs> yeah. Dane's been trying to break your record for a few years now. I know he's been saying that for a while. <laughs> but so I think competition. So so having something that everybody can get tied into, but also the the competing at the highest level that's possible for that person, and it could be breaking their best ever, right? Having an achievement that they've never hit before. You know, a milestone you know, your best week ever, your best month ever, you know, breaking a a record for your territory or for your office. So finding a way for somebody to compete, but at their level that they're comfortable with. Yeah. Competition is such an important tool in the toolbox. That's that's the way I've always tried to describe it to people who say, well, I'm not really that competitive. I'm like, well, then you're taking a tool out of your toolbox and you're throwing it out. It's like you want all the tools, right? And finding the level of competition that resonates for you is an important thing. And it doesn't always have to be being number one. And it doesn't always have to be beating somebody else, as you've said, right? Competing against your own standards, competing against, hey, this same week last year, can we do a better job? Can we break our monthly record, right? Looking for whatever edge you can find that gives you that additional tool to motivate, inspire yourself, that's uh, the essence of, uh, of leveraging competition in a positive way. Exactly. I, I never wanted to compete against anybody else because 
I can't predict what Evan Keller is going to sell. I can't predict what Brian Hellman is going to sell. I can only, you know, control what, what we do, we go after. So, you know, competing against something intangible might be fun for the, the thrill of the competition, but you've got to compete against something tangible. Again, beating yourself or, be, you know, going after a certain level, because at the end of the day, a goal is, is just motivation to wake up every morning and, and do what you're supposed to do. Right, it, you know, just saying that you want to go after a certain level doesn't inherently make that go, you know, happen or or possible. But but knowing that you're going after it gives you a reason to be motivated and a reason to be inspired and a reason to, you know, get your people excited and everybody involved in that goal. Yeah. Any other uh, peak performance insights from the Rocky Mountain Division? Sure. I think slumps are okay. Streaks are okay. It's part of business realizing that sometimes you're going to be on fire and sometimes you're going to you know be be trying and working hard with a smile on your face and we've seen every every step of this way whether it's our, our CSPs and some of them having their most of our CSPs had had growth numbers in November December most of our district managers had growth numbers in November December and realizing that if somebody's in a streak or somebody's in a slump it, it takes a powerful positive conversation to turn that around and you're usually not that far off from that turnaround. So understanding that that that's part of business. You're not always going to have a great day. You're not always going to have a great week, but you can turn it around with the right intentions. Hmm. Good. I like it. I like it. How about Drew, uh, as you look at your own self, how do you use these principles we've talked about today to keep yourself accountable to your goals? I think respecting the... For me, it's always respecting the challenge overestimating the challenge and, and us underestimating myself and my ability. Uh, I'm not sure if that was you who I heard that from originally or, or, or somebody Mark else. Lovis. Mark Lovis. But uh, that, that's been, you know, I probably heard that from you the first time though, but um, just o- overestimating the, the challenge and underestimating my ability. That way I'm always overprepared. I think I'm in tune with my responsibility as a leader. And I know that if I'm exemplifying the things that I teach and I'm planning well ahead into the future, if I am, you know, diligent about my, you know, whether it's my goals or, you know, uh, preparation or planning for the year, the further in advance that I can do that, the further ahead of pace that I can be, then then I will always be a credible leader to my people. And, and what I want and I hope is that my reps and my, you know, the managers in our and my division and our CSPs, that they continue to have respect and value for what I can give them. And I know that that's going to get harder and harder. And it does get harder and harder every year because they're more experienced, they're more talented, and it forces me to be even better. So I always want to be a value to Curtis. I always want to be a value, you know, to to KB and Athena and Maz and, and our, our team. And I've got to keep working on myself if I want to continue being important and valuable to them. Yeah. Well, it, as long as you're doing that, you will always have more value to give to your people. And I can definitely share that just from my own personal experience, having worked with very, very elite district managers for a long period of time. You know, I worked with Carl Gedris for shoot 15 years and he's still to this day that holds the number one district record in the company. And even down to the very last year, I always felt like I had something to offer him because I was always continuing to develop and grow myself. And that's a challenge to any leader. And it's something any leader can do. Your your point about over-preparing, Drew, if young district managers in the company can take one thing to heart from your the, some of your last thoughts here, 
This idea is a key one because I do think that there are many managers that do not prepare for anything that they do really and that just kind of try to fly by the seat of their pants and succeed on talent and expect that you know they can just keep doing what they've been doing but succeeding at a higher level and continuing to to raise the bar in your life does begin with this planning and preparation process and there's a lot of behind the scenes work that great people put in to be able to get the results that they get and respecting the challenges in front of you, respecting the goals that you have and recognizing that is a great impetus, I feel, to make sure that you are prepared for all of the things that you do. And that uh, is a great step in being able to have much better success. That happens on every level too. And as you're saying that, it's it's as simple as, you know, from the rep perspective, well, hey, if, if I have a push week coming up, and I know that I need to schedule this many appointments in order for me to hit my goal. Let me over-prepare. And instead of putting all my eggs in one basket and doing an all-day call day and just hoping for the best, why not split that up and do it you know, X many hours a day for four days? And I give myself four chances. And if I want, let's say, 20 appointments to start off push, I'm going to put 20 hours of phone calls into my schedule. And even at a minimum, if I get one demo for every hour of phone calls, I'm going to guarantee my goal and I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to get the result rather than taking chances. And I think on, that's at a, on a really simple level. And then for district managers, it's, it, it's so deep because it's, all right, well, do I have backup plans? And if I, I have this development, but then I have this many, you know, if I have this many assistant managers, how many do I want in tow to be able to, to, to build my organization? So, you know, being able to plan far in advance. And as you said, that preparation, it gives so much confidence and it also gives time to make things happen. Yeah, it, preparation, as you said, gives great confidence because it's almost like w- when you're really prepared, it's almost like you've lived through what you're going to do in advance. And so that confidence is built up, which is a, a, a big key to actually achieving the goals is just having that level of confidence before you get in there and take take on the challenge. So that, that to me is a big key as well. That's a, a big part of preparation is that the establishment of confidence that comes from it. Yep. You, you mentioned uh, working on yourself and, and so many of the things that I, you know, try to incorporate as a leader, things that I watched you and, and your colleagues do when I was new in the business and, and as a new division manager. So what I saw you do, Dan, was give so many people value outside of knives. And, and this this podcast is, is an example of that is you give value to people of the full person. And somebody's somebody's business and somebody's you know as a rep their their sales business like I go a district manager their their business that they run is just a part of them but they're more than just Cutco they're more than just their quantum report and more than just their their commission statement so realizing that the, the advice and the the coaching and the care that you have for somebody in a, a different aspect outside of vector you know their their personal development their professional skills maybe their family life paying attention to that and, and having the ability to coach and and give value is just as important as anything that you can teach business related yep exactly you know we we opened up with you know some of the the ways in which you invest in people to build respect for yourself and build that accountability and i think that's a a great note here uh, as we wind down for people to think about uh, once again. Drew, when you look uh, into the future, 2021 and beyond, what uh, are you excited about? 
Uh, I'm not excited about Dane doing whatever he's going to do, but <laughs> but I am uh, <laughs> I'm worried about that. That's for sure. You know, I am. I, I think 2020 taught us all that it's important to be present. It's important to enjoy the moment, enjoy the process, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to just having so much fun with my district managers and my CSPs and and working together to help them grow and help them continue to build their business. It's been a lot of fun this year. I think the company has made so many positive changes. And I think that the the rep opportunity has never been better. I think the, the sales opportunity with the flexibility and control and the virtual opportunity has never been better. I think the district manager opportunity for those same reasons has never been better. I'm just looking forward to seeing my the district managers and, and CSPs in Rocky Mountain Division see the success that they deserve. And and for that matter, everybody in the company who's been working hard for it. Yep. Indeed. Well, it's going to be a fun, fun ride to see uh, what happens in 2021 and uh, what happens uh, in, in the years to come in Vector. I think we are at the cusp of a truly incredible run of years that's going to start happening here that has begun with 2020 with our best year ever. And I think that uh, more of that is coming around the corner, both for you and for the whole company. I agree. I think I think we still got it. I don't think we're done yet. Yeah. Well, if still got it, uh, Drew, pertains to the all-time office record, I don't think you'll have it a year from now. We'll have to see about that. But if still got it pertains to being talented and ambitious and powerful and successful and influential and all the great other great words I could use. You have all of those and more. Uh, You're an incredible leader for the company. And it's great to have you here sharing your insights. I appreciate you being part of the podcast. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for having me on. It is always fun to talk shop with you. All right. The great Drew Frank, everyone, on the art of accountability, uh, how it begins with mutual respect. So this is not just the leader respecting their people, which of course is important, but it's also the leader building up a feeling of respect from their people to them. That comes through appreciation, right? Recognition. It also comes through giving value to your people, not just professionally, but also personally, getting to know them, getting to know their goals, what they want, how you can help them, offering insights that are personal, concepts for personal growth outside of what you do in your specific business. That is the foundation for accountability. I like what Drew shared about the leader taking responsibility when something isn't going right and being vulnerable enough to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I feel like I failed you in this case, and I want to make sure that I help you to succeed. Of course, then building people up, right? If you acknowledge failure or struggle, it's important to turn that around with building people up, building up their potential, building up what you see for them, helping to create that vision, right, of what's possible, what's in it for them if they make strides, turn things around. Then finding a way to get people a fresh start, having them renew their commitment. Uh, This is possible to do multiple times after someone wavers in and out of success, right, is getting a renewed commitment. 
And typically, the greater the struggle with the individual, the shorter the new commitment you want to go for, right? At the most extreme, it might be, hey, can we commit to today and tomorrow, right? Doing this and this, right? But with others, it could be a longer period of renewed commitment, but just trying to get that renewed commitment and that fresh start and then helping people see the simple steps that they're going to take. The next steps, you're resetting expectations. What are their next steps to succeed? And then ideally creating some action. And when you create that action, there is a good chance that there is going to be success that follows. And when success follows, the commitment level goes up, the goals go up, people start on an upward spiral that can sometimes lead them to be incredibly successful. And you will find uh, that through creating this, this cycle of accountability with others around you, that you will be creating great success and ultimately really widespread success the same way that Drew has right now going on in the Rocky Mountain Division. I really love that Drew said that you as a leader are oftentimes the single most influential person in the lives of people around you. For many Cutco Vector reps or Cutco Vector managers, if you were to ask them who's the most influential person in your life, some of them are going to say a mother, some of them are going to say a father, some of them are going to say a coach or a teacher. Many of them, probably the number one answer on the board for a lot of people is going to be their Vector District Manager and the impact that that person has on them and how it's so profound. Respect that challenge. Match your level of preparation for the work that you do with the challenge that you are facing. And if you do that, you can bring your best energy to everyone that you're working with. You can become one of the great ones. The next Drew Franks are out there in the world. And it's exciting to be a part of a company that is developing such amazing leaders both inside the Vector organization and for the future outside of the organization as well. Thanks for supporting this podcast, everyone. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 